It's Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund from KMBR Radio in San Francisco, episode 39, Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. It is election day. Get out there and vote. John Lynch, is he a short timer? Is he off to Amazon Prime soon? Does Barry Bonds get into the Hall of Fame now? Will the Warriors just quit screwing around and play the young guys already? And one for the road. Election day. Best sports politicians. Let's go. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. Happy Election Day. It's John Lund, Unleashed, various sports talk. We drop it each weekday morning. It is episode 39, Election Day, Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Thanks for making Unleashed, various sports talk your first stop for various sports talk each weekday morning. We drop it about 6 a.m. each day. Please listen what you are doing. Thank you very much. Subscribe where you get your podcast. The YouTube channel, as I've been telling you, is going to be up Monday November 14th, we're just putting the finishing touches on the uh, studio, so you're going to see my ugly mug every day. Uh, interact with me, the show, at John Lund Radio, what you like, what you don't, suggestions, attaboys, all that kind of stuff, at John Lund Radio, and you can interact with the show. Hit me up on my day job as well, KMBR Radio in San Francisco, KMBR 680 with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, so you can listen to me there, or KMBR .com. If you're new to the podcast, thank you very much for listening, first and foremost. And, uh, you know, here's here's what we do. We do a lead-off spot, which will be the big story of the day. We put a few other stories in there as well. All are relevant, and then we hit one for the road. And today we'll talk about sports politicians, ones that could be, ones that have been, and ones that just missed the cut. So let's go on. Without further ado, let's lead this whole thing off. Today's big story, John Lynch. I'll explain now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I sent you a note and I said, Freddie, we are in the midst of this thing. I, can, I couldn't possibly, you know, sit down and talk with you. And he, I just want to have dinner. And, you know, finally... You know, for a friendship, I just relented and, and uh, had no idea what they were going to dump on me. And and he showed up with some execs from Amazon. We did it at, at my house, Linda and I, and had some Mexican food, some margaritas. And and next thing you know, they dropped this bomb. <laughs> they want to hire me. And uh, that Mr. Bezos is very aware of this of this dinner going on. And, uh, you know, uh, the price is really not an option. They, they felt like it was like, whoa, this is a lot. And. I said, I can't even think about this right now. You know, I've, I've got a duty to our team and I feel feel dirty even being here. <laughs> I just was having dinner with a friend. Um, you know, at the end of the year, we, we, we didn't play well. Um, you know, we didn't finish in that championship game. And, you know, oftentimes at the end of the season, Kyle's just so gassed that he said, John, I need you. And every now and then during the season, I can, can you address our team? And so I just tried to put my thoughts into how we come back from a loss like that and um, talked about the courage it was going to take. And ultimately, that's what really got me, Tim, other than my loyalties to the to the York family, how good they've been to us, how much we've enjoyed this whole situation, um, you know, and then primarily our my, my relationship with Kyle, my friendship and my respect for him and the coaching staff that we have, the, my staff. All that weighed in, but ultimately, when it came down to making that decision, because the money did get ridiculous, um, you know, I, all I, all I could think about was that me getting up and talking to mm -hmm. that team. And if I left them with unfinished business, 
I, w- I would never feel good. That wouldn't sit well with me. And so, you know, I, I kind of think I even surprised Kyle and Jed because they, they knew, they said, listen, um, we love you. We don't want you to go anywhere, but that's a hard thing to turn down. And, but ultimately I did. And uh, I'm happy that I did some weeks. <laughs> that was John Lynch for now, the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, of your San Francisco 49ers. I want to credit Tim Kawakami, the TK show, with The Athletic. And uh, he talked to John Lynch, and that's as open as I've heard John Lynch talk about the situation, the more details that John Lynch has given on that situation with Amazon Prime. And uh, we all knew, and it's been reported and talked about, that John Lynch did speak with Amazon, but it was through an old director friend of his. And John Lynch, when he finished his career, basically went right into broadcasting 2008 to 2017 when he became the general or became the general manager of the 49ers uh, if you didn't know uh, I know his dad his dad is a longtime exec in the uh, radio business so John Lynch was familiar with with media and probably as you can hear from there we'll go back so let me before I ask the the main question I was thinking about John Lynch and what he's got going on well he's got he's from the San Diego area he turned 51 in September as I said he was an on-air personality and analyst from 2008 to 2017. He talked about TV offering silly money. There really wasn't a – there was basically a blank check, and we saw what was happening in this uh, in this uh, offseason with uh, broadcasters. His son, his son Jake, plays at Stanford. He's got a few other kids as well, so it's not like he's got younger kids that he needs to get home to like a Tom Brady or something like that. He could probably do whatever he wants. So I'm not trying to get into John Lynch's head because I don't know. I don't know if he wants to go back to San Diego. I don't know if he loves being up in the Bay Area. I don't know the situation with his kids, even though they're a little bit older. I don't know anything about John Lynch's situation. But he has mentioned a couple of things that he mentioned there in the podcast with Tim Kawakami of The Athletic, which is he feels like he has unfinished business, which is if the 49ers won a Super Bowl, had they won that Super Bowl a couple years ago, I think he would have left. I think that if they win the Super Bowl this year, that he will leave. And the thing is, is that, being a general manager, there's a lot of things involved in it, but you, you work a hell of a lot harder, and I'm not saying they don't work hard on TV because they do, but you work a hell of a lot harder being a general manager of a football team than you do as a broadcaster. Again, I'm not saying that John Lynch doesn't want to work hard. I don't know, but there seems to be that pull back to broadcasting because he's not denying any of this. And again, you got to strike while the iron is hot because I, I don't know how much longer they're going to play pay this silly money, and I've said this too before both in the podcast and on my show on KNBR, I, I've never, ever, ever, I don't know about you, tuned into a football game, basketball game, baseball game, any sporting event because of the broadcaster and, oh, by the way, there's a game. I always tune in for the game, and if there's a great broadcaster, great. If there's a bad broadcaster, it takes a little bit away from it, but I'm not going to not watch the game. Uh, I have stopped every once in a while when I heard Bill Walton going off on a tangent. I love John Madden. There are certain broadcasters that I prefer over the others. Uh, I'm not a Dick Vitale guy. I hope he uh, recovers well. It's nothing against anything. His health, I hope he does great with his health. But I wasn't, I've never been a big fan of his screaming and his yelling. I've had him on radio shows many times. I've talked to him off the air, and he's not like that. And he goes on the air, and he's bombastic. And some people love that, love that uh, version of, I don't have a problem with Joe Buck. Some people hate him. You know, so it's everybody is, is different in who they like and who they don't. But the bottom line to it all is, there are certain guys I enjoy more than others, but I'm not going to tune into a game because of a broadcaster, and I'm not going to tune out of a game because of a broadcaster. I'm going to watch a game based on the game. I've had to turn down games before. 
Uh, I've enjoyed games more because of the broadcasters, but my point in saying all that is that the amount of ridiculous money that was thrown around, I never got it. And I've said this before on podcast, even a podcast last week, I think we got into the broadcasters with the all of the broadcaster carousel that went on in the offseason. I think all of them are worse. I liked Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the Fox games. Monday Night Football needed an upgrade, and it certainly is. Uh, the Sunday Night Football broadcast, nothing against uh, a f- good friend of ours on the show constantly on KNBR, went to Syracuse. I like Mike Tirico. I just I liked Al Michaels with Chris Collinsworth better. So my point in saying all this is uh, they did this big musical chairs game, and I think they came out worse basically on all fronts. But the reason why John Lynch's name continues to come up with Amazon Prime is that I think – you know this, and again, I've talked about it on podcasts before. Kirk Herbstreit is a one-year guy on Thursday Night Football. He's intimidated by Al Michaels. He's not himself. He's not as good on the NFL. He's constantly talking about how he's new to the NFL. All the don'ts that you shouldn't do, Kirk Herbstreit does. And it's again, it's not taking away from my enjoyment. It's just having done this for a long time and kind of assessing it, and you can assess it the same way as I can. It's not anything that I'm special at. You watch the broadcast, and Kirk Herbstreit just – is kind of a fish out of water. The pro game is different than college. He's great at the college game. He's not bad at the NFL. I just don't think he has a lot of confidence. I think he's intimidated, like I said, by Al Michaels. I don't think he knows the NFL game or players as well. And I think that him being on game day and doing the main college game is is where he should be. I think it's a lot like an NFL coach, a college coach that wants to go to the NFL and try. I think that's what Herb Street did. I just don't think he's a fit. My point in saying that is it's going to open up prime again for John Lynch probably next year. Now, whether they win the Super Bowl or or they don't, it sounds to me like John Lynch is going to have another sit-down meeting or at least they're going to request it and say, John, (laughs) here's the blank check again, $15 million, $20 million. I don't know what he's making as the general manager of the 49ers, five, six, seven million bucks. It's nothing to sneeze at, and it's really good money. But if Amazon's going to offer you three, four, five times the money, and I do think as we're starting to look at the the top teams now, John Lynch could get himself on a top team, whether it be an Amazon, nothing against Greg Olson at Fox, who I like, but John Lynch is better than him. Uh, the only clear analyst to me that would be superior is Chris Collinsworth. But I don't think Troy Aikman is much. Kirk Herbstreit on Thursday night is not. Uh, Troy Aikman on Monday night is not better than John Lynch. So all of a sudden, John Lynch could have himself a number one job, not only at Amazon, but there's probably a number of different uh, broadcast teams that probably would like to have John Lynch, and he could have a lot of money. He's originally from San Diego. Lots of people love living down there. Uh, maybe he wants to go back down there. I have no idea. I said at the beginning of this discussion, I don't know what he wants to do, but I know this, that John Lynch is a really good broadcaster. Now, as far as John Lynch, the general manager, I think he's really good. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said that really he had no part in bringing Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers, other than I'm sure John Lynch informed him and said, what do you think? And Kyle Shanahan said, yeah, I'd love to have him. But Kyle Shanahan said John Lynch did a lot of that work. Now I'm sure it's John Lynch. I'm sure it's Adam Peters. I don't know exactly how it works in terms of who does what work, but I do know this, that if John Lynch during the season is making moves, Kyle Shanahan's coaching the team, John Lynch is pretty damn important. I'd put it like that. And If you look at the successful teams in the NFL, there is a yin and yang between the general manager and the coach on most fronts. You look at Seattle and John Schneider and Pete Carroll for a long time. Now, Bill Belichick runs the entire ship with the Patriots, but we're seeing how ineffective that can be without Tom Brady around. Again, I'm not saying he's not great at it. I think he's a great coach. I'm not sure what he is as a personnel guy, and I don't know 
exactly how it works, what the pecking order is and so forth. I know Belichick probably has the final say, but we've seen it before. Mike Holmgren, as a coach, really good. Mike Holmgren running the ship in Seattle is the whole thing, not so much. John Gruden running the whole ship in Las Vegas, not so much. Mike Mayock was just, hey, John, what should we do? And we all know this by now. Gruden just didn't make very good decisions, and he was trying to coach the team at the same time. It's just too much. So John Lynch being around and having Kyle Shanahan coach the team, no matter what you think of what they've done so far, and they're still sub-500 as a as a duo, but they've been to a Super Bowl, they've been to an NFC Championship game, I would still call what they've done successful, and I like what they've done. So I think if they did lose John Lynch, I think it would be a big deal. But at some point, logic just tells you. Logic just tells you that John Lynch, who's a really good broadcaster and did it for nine years before he was the general manager of the, of the 49ers, I don't think he's a lifer in this game. There are certain guys who come up this way as a scout who climbed the ladder all the way up into this business and, and are going to be lifers in this business. Kyle is a lifer as a coach. Sean McVay, we continue to hear, not so much a lifer. Probably wants to go into broadcasting and get all that money and not work nearly as hard. Kyle Shanahan's not going to go that route. I'd be shocked if Kyle Shanahan was a broadcaster. I just I don't see that. John Lynch is a broadcaster. John Lynch is a football player turned broadcaster, and he's really good at it. I think he's a good general manager. I don't know how good. I think he's a good general manager. They brought on a ton of talent on this team, especially in the middle rounds after the first round. Uh, they've made a couple of big trades, whatever you think of the Jimmy Garoppolo move for a second-round pick. He's more than paid for that. Uh, this Christian McCaffrey trade looks really, really good. They've been in on a lot of moves. I know that for a fact, even if they didn't get it done. I would call John Lynch aggressive. Uh, I don't know if Kyle Shanahan's aggressive. He's not aggressive as a head coach. He's not a big fourth down guy. Does that carry on to off the field? I don't know. I I don't know what his – I think that Kyle Shanahan in his deal has the, I've got the final say, so let me know. But I think everybody was in an agreement as far as Christian McCaffrey. But John Lynch, according to everybody in the know – did a lot of the heavy lifting on that. So I think they yin and yang really well. I think the John missing John Lynch would be a big deal, and you wouldn't want to just have Kyle Shanahan calling all the shots because generally speaking throughout the history of time, unless your name's Belichick, that really hasn't worked out, out all that well. I think you should have a clear coach, front office guys, and I know that John Lynch has a lot of help around him. But my point in bringing all this up is it's really interesting because in this podcast – that's the first time that you've really – I mean, he said it, and he's kind of gone away from it, said it, kind of gone away from it, but he goes into details on how it happened and essentially said maybe, – maybe saying that he got a blank check offered him is a little bit too strong, but not too much, especially based on the money that we saw all these guys get. And as I said, I think that John Lynch, probably behind Chris Collinsworth, would be the best analyst out there. Herb Street's a one-year guy at Amazon. I think that is very clear. Will John Lynch – Next time, which could be this offseason, take the check. We shall see. That's your leadoff. And by the way, before we hit up next, uh, did get the big story. Not the big story today, but uh, apparently in the next few days, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to make a decision. Jay Glazer of Fox Sports says that the 49ers would be one of the teams that would be interested, one of the teams that would be involved and I know because of what Kyle Shanahan has said in the past, he's a really big OBJ guy. But me personally, I still think that whatever resources they have available, and we know that the salary cap is fluid, and I've said this a couple of times on previous podcasts, in Dominican Sioux, which I talked to someone up in the Northwest that knows him a little bit. Uh, he's from Portland. 
He's looking for a certain amount of money. Uh, he's l- looking for a certain amount of playing time. He's looking for a winning team. He'd like to stay on the West Coast. The 49ers, to me, check all those boxes. And for all the guys, and we'll talk about this as the week progresses, as they get ready for the Chargers on Sunday Night Football, for all the guys that they're going to get back, and that's going to be Debo Samuel, that's going to be Kyle Juszczyk, that's probably going to be Dre Greenlaw. Up in the air still is Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead. I don't know if he's healed from that injury yet. It's a little bit weird. There's a couple of injuries, by the way, other than the uh, plantar fasciitis, which we know about, but there's uh, there's other things going on with him that are that make it questionable. And then Javon Kinlaw, the way that I've been told is, if they get anything out of Javon Kinlaw because of the knee just giving him more trouble, it's a bonus. They can't keep going forward and reach their maximum potential with just Kevin Givens inside and Hassan Ridgeway inside, and then they go to a bit of a NASCAR package where they bring those defensive ends inside in Drake Jackson and Charles O'Manahue. It's not bad. It's just they need a defensive tackle to come in and play some major snaps. That's where Indomitian Sue comes in. So if you're asking me, and I'm asking myself this question, that if it comes down to a guy like Indomitian Sue and using those resources, those uh, financial resources on him or OBJ, then I'm taking Indomitian Sue. It's nothing against OBJ. By the way, I think he's going to go to Dallas. That seems to be the word. And that's not great because they played Dallas, obviously, last year. Uh, in the first round, they won. But with Dak being back and Pollard in the backfield over Zeke, they're short at wide receiver. They have a really good defense. Micah Parsons lead the way. If they get OBJ, that could be a situation like with the Rams last year what they were missing. I think they're missing an OBJ type, and he wants to go to a team that is winning. The Rams aren't winning. Uh, people said the Packers. The Packers aren't winning. Uh, the Cowboys seem to me to be the most logical destination. Now, would the 49ers be interested if, say, Indomitian Sue just said, look, I'm not doing it or wanted too much money, I guess. And really, Sue is the only guy out there. I've, there's a couple other 30-plus-year-old defensive tackles out there. Trade deadline is obviously passed by. So would I be interested if OBJ was interested? Sure. Uh, Jawan Jennings has not been great. So if you want to throw all the weapons that you have in McCaffrey and Debo and Kittle and Juszczyk and Ayuk and all those kind of guys and then replace OBJ, replace Jennings with OBJ, yeah, I'd take that. But I think right now getting Christian McCaffrey, the offense should be fine. I would use my resources in other ways if I could. That's all I'm saying next i think so eventually i i mean but if not i already know who i am so i don't i it's not going to determine my life and what i've done in this baseball field i'm proud of what i did on that field i'm very proud of it and there's not a person on that's ever played against me or with me that could ever sit there and say they did not see me work hard on that baseball field and that's my self-satisfaction right there is that i have my peers and the ball players that i played with and against they know the truth and that's all that matters to me that's barry bonds when asked a couple of years ago what he thought about not being in the Hall of Fame, how important the Hall of Fame was to him. And obviously, Barry Bonds is a competitive guy. And he wants to get into the Hall of Fame. And I'm not here to debate something that is, especially in the Bay Area, if you don't live in the Bay Area, a topic that is often talked about every time the Hall of Fame is mentioned. And this is his safe harbor. So here, uh, Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. I understand the argument and have for years for the people who didn't vote for Barry Bonds. I understand that. But the reason we're talking about it today on the podcast is the Hall of Fame released its eight-player contemporary baseball era ballot, and it includes some familiar and, of course, controversial names, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, uh, also Albert Bell, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, the crime dog, and uh, Dale Murphy and Rafael Palmeiro. Now, if you don't know what that is, these are guys who are no longer eligible over the 10 years. They didn't get uh, voted into the Hall of Fame. 
So this 16-person committee consists of Hall of Fame players, half of them, eight of the 16, uh, baseball executives and veteran sports writers. They're going to vote on players at the winter meetings on December 4th, and a player, just like the regular Hall of Fame uh, ballot, needs 75% or 12 of the 16 votes to be elected. Now, last time out, just to give you kind of a reminder, needed 75%. His last time, 10th year on the ballot, Barry Bonds received 66% of the vote, Clemens 65% of the vote, and then Kurt Schilling, after being asked to be taken off the ballot, he had actually gotten to within 71%, close to the 75, but that dropped to 58.6% of the vote. Now, rather than going through, again, the whole Barry Bonds argument and all these kind of things, I'll just briefly say if you're new to the podcast or new to listening to me and you haven't listened to me on KNBR in the Bay Area, there are users of performance-enhancing drugs in the Hall of Fame. And just recently, David Ortiz, who got in on, on his first opportunity as a DH, by the way, which Edgar Martinez was the first pure DH to get in, and it just doesn't really happen all that often, but David Ortiz is a likable guy, and David Ortiz said, this is our effing city, and there's and they came back from 3-0, and there's all those reasons why David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame and was voted that way, and a lot of them don't have to do with baseball. And David Ortiz did fail a test in 2003 and was on a list and is in the Hall of Fame as a first ballot Hall of Famer as a DH. Mike Piazza, there's questions about. You can go on down the line. There are no choir boys, as Dusty Baker once said when he was defending Barry Bonds. There are no uh, there are no choir boys uh, in the Hall of Fame. There are bad guys in the Hall of Fame. So when it comes to guys like Kurt Schilling, I think it should just be a baseball thing. But if you look at... Uh, the NFL, if you look at other Halls of Fame, guys who are good guys seem to be good guys. Kurt Warner would have never gotten in, for example. Uh, former Ram, Giant, and Cardinal. Kurt Warner, I don't think, ever would have gotten in if he wasn't on NFL Network. Uh, Terrell Davis didn't play long enough. I don't think he ever would have gotten in. The only reason Alex Rodriguez is trying to rehab his reputation so hard is he wants to be in. He's trying to get himself to close to David Ortiz. Hey, I'm a good guy. Uh, it hasn't worked yet, okay? So that's just quickly my thought on Barry Bonds. In terms of this 16-team or this 16-person committee, here's what concerns me as a guy that wants Barry Bonds into the Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds should be into the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds gained traction and votes with the younger sports writer, writers. They started to look at war and numbers, and they're not as – they realize, just like I do, that everybody's doing something. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, and Barry – just was too cavalier about it. And Barry was not nice to the media and didn't play the game. And we all know that there's a game to be played in all of business, and Barry never played it very, very well. So the 16-person uh, committee, though, Hall of Fame players for eight of them. Well, Joe Morgan, who's no longer around anymore, rest in peace, Joe, often talked about how the those type of players never wanted Barry Bonds into the Hall of Fame. So I don't know that he's going to get any of those votes. And again, he needs 12 of 16. Baseball executives, I don't know how baseball executives feel about Barry Bonds. And then veteran sportscasters, or sports writers, I should say, veteran sports writers. Well, again, the veteran sports writers were the guys that generally kept Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame. So this vote will become public. Uh, December 4th is the vote, and a player must, as I said, receive 12 of 16 votes to get in. Uh, my... Sense says that Don Mattingly, a good guy who's hung around the game and was a Yankee, is going to get in. That Fred McGriff is going to get in. 
that Dale Murphy, a lot of people have championed his cause and a really nice guy, is going to get in. Uh, Albert Bell was a jerk to the media. Shouldn't matter, but I don't think he's going to get in. Uh, Kurt Schilling was a jerk to the media. I don't think he's going to get in. And now, and those things shouldn't matter, but I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen. Uh, Bonds, Clemens, and Palmero were guys that uh, used, and I think because of the committee and the makeup of the committee, at least as I see it, veteran sports writers, former players, uh, older members, I just don't think that they're going to put known, and I know they never failed a test, but Barry is still the face of all of this, and Clemens is the face from a pitcher's standpoint, and Rafael Palmero looked terrible in front of Congress when he went there, pointing his fingers and lying straight through his teeth. I just don't think any of those three guys are going to get in. I, To be honest with you, and it, there is no number, by the way, we were talking about this on my show on KNBR today, usually there's a number, right? You can only elect X amount. If you get 12 of those votes, you're in. So every one of these guys, Mattingly, McGriff, uh, Murphy, uh, Albert Bell, Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, Palmero, if they all got 12 votes, they could all go in. Uh, I would, I'm just speculating. I could be wrong. I think the three nice guys, Mattingly, McGriff, and Murphy, the three M's, I think those guys get in. There's two jerks and there's three guys who used. I just don't see it. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I'd be shocked if Bonds uh, got in. But I think he and Clemens should at least get in. I think it's a crime they're not in. Uh, they are the two glaring omissions. I know that Palmero is a glaring omission. By the way, Sammy Sosa didn't even make this committee's ballot. But the thing I think they're afraid of is if you let these guys in, Bonds and Clemens, the face of this era of PED users, then that opens up the door. And this is what they're afraid of. They're afraid of precedence. So if you set precedents, then Bonds and Clemens are in. Then you got to talk about Sosa. Then you got to talk about McGuire. Then you got to talk about Palmero. You got to now you start you start having to talk about everybody. And really, the floodgates are open. And you got to let everybody in. Problem is, I think they've already done it. Barry has the record. It's in the books. Baseball profited and turned their back, and now they're doing it again. We should we shall see on December fourth. But through this way, I still don't think Barry Bonds gets in the Hall of Fame, although obviously he deserves to. Next. Raymond to set the ball screen. Step for the lead. He got it! He's like, I'm him. Man's got a heat seeker. That is NBC Sports Bay Area. Fitz and Kalena Azubuki on the call. The Warriors break their losing streak 116-113 to the Kings. That was Steph Curry at Chase Center with the game-leading basket. They end up winning again 116-113. He scores 47 to lead the Warriors to the win. But the thing that I'm looking at, Jonathan Kaminga, who Steve Kerr said because of the way he played in New Orleans in 38 minutes, scoring 18 points, that he was going to be back in the rotation. He played nine minutes. James Wiseman didn't play at all. Meanwhile, some guy named Anthony Lambs played 16 minutes, and Ty Jerome played 12 minutes. Moses Moody only played nine minutes. Now, look, I get it. You should earn minutes. It's professional sports. It's not Little League. Not everybody gets to play. I understand that. But this is becoming organizational. When you pick guys like James Wiseman, who have three games of college experience, when you pick Jonathan Kaminga, who played for the Ignite team in the G League, and when you take Moses Moody, who played one year 
at Arkansas, it's going to take some time. But when you make those picks, what happens is is you make an organizational commitment. Now, if they can't play at all, I get it. But Wiseman can play, and Kaminga can play, and Moody can play. And especially in the case of Kaminga and Wiseman, they're doing them a disservice on a nightly basis. Do you watch, When you watch the Warriors game, watch when Wiseman makes a mistake. He looks immediately over the bench. Watch when Kaminga makes a mistake. He immediately looks over the bench. These guys aren't going to get better through osmosis or some certain way that they're watching from the bench. They don't get experience, playoff or otherwise, watching Steph Curry and Klay Thompson drain threes or watch Draymond play defense. They can talk to these guys until they're blue in the face. They can try to give them confidence. They can play them in practice. They can do all those things. But the only way you get better is by playing. I'll make an NFL comparison. All of a sudden, Justin Fields can play a little bit. They're figuring it out. The Chicago Bears have figured out, okay, rather than sticking this square peg into a round hole, let's figure some things out and do things like Justin Fields can do. Now, is that different with the Warriors? Yeah. You're not going to change things for James Meisman. You're not going to change things for Jonathan Kaminga. But when they're in the game, maybe you could do some things that play to their strengths. All I'm saying is they've already made the commitment to these guys. They already use these picks on these guys. They already said, okay, we're not going to trade you for Kevin Durant because when these guys are gone, and Joe Lacob has made this point, when Curry and Draymond and Clay are gone and they're getting older by the minute, well, except for Steph, these are going to be the guys we want to hang on to them. We didn't trade them. We didn't trade the picks. We didn't trade them for Durant in the offseason, which probably would have ensured at least a couple of more titles, if not three, to this whole thing, that we'd rather do this on a long-term basis. The problem is, you can lose confidence of players, or they could just say, you know what, I want out of here. Because Kaminga on a bad team, and I'm sure he'd rather be here but and learning, but on a bad team, Jonathan Kaminga would be playing 30 minutes. And James Wiseman would be playing 30 minutes. And I'm not suggesting that those guys should play 30 minutes, but what would be great is to just say, look, guys, don't look over to the bench anymore. You're going to get in Wiseman's case early in the season. He was playing 18 minutes a game, and I still didn't think that was enough. And same with Kaminga. Rather than them saying, I've got to fit into your round hole and I'm the square peg, you've got to do things to help develop these guys. Now, can the Warriors develop players? Yeah, they can. Jordan Poole developed. He went down to the G League. If that's what it takes, then put James Wiseman in the G League so he can play 30 minutes a night and see if it works like he did with Jordan Poole, where he played, he gained confidence. Same thing with Kaminga. They're not going to gain anything by playing eight or nine minutes and staring over at the bench every single time they make a mistake. And, oh, by the way, not only are they staring at the bench, then Draymond Green will remind him that they screwed up and they'll lose confidence that way. They're playing a very dangerous game with Kaminga and Wiseman. They're messing with their confidence. They're in and out of the rotation. That's not the way to develop a player. And if they're going to do this and they're not going to have any confidence in these guys, and look, I'm not saying it's not on them. It is on them. But rather than saying it's constantly on them, It's on the organization as well to develop these guys. And if you're not going to develop these guys, and if you're not going to give them consistent minutes, and if you're not going to give them consistent roles, then do trade them for Kevin Durant. Because Brooklyn is a mess right now. I'm sure Kevin Durant would welcome a trade. And if you're not going to do right by these guys and give them the opportunity to get better by playing, which is the only way to make them better and get them better and be the future building blocks that you think they can be, then trade him for Durant, trade Wiseman, trade Kaminga, make the salaries match, get Durant, win two or three more of these things, call yourself a true dynasty, 
and then do what's happened to so many of these other teams. You dive down, you get back in the lottery, but you had a lot of fun doing it. San Antonio's not very good, but they got the memories and they got the titles. The Bulls aren't haven't been nearly the same, obviously, with their dominant teams. But you know what? They went through the drugs. The Lakers did it. The Celtics did it. Everybody does it. Eventually, you're going to have to. And if you don't have any confidence in these young guys, which it's been shown that they don't, then go get another superstar, win a couple of two, three more titles, and then dive back down into the lottery with all those championships. One way or the other, they've got to make a decision. Trade the picks then and go get Durant or bite the bullet and play these guys. Their choice. Next. Supporting us as always. Uh, you may have noticed players from both teams and all over the league are wearing shirts that say vote on them tonight. And uh, as an organization, we want to encourage all of you to get to the polls tomorrow. Even if you're not registered, you can register tomorrow. All of our players and coaches are registered. Uh, we we encourage you to join us and cast your ballots tomorrow. Thank you. That was Steve Kerr before the uh, Kings game on Monday night. And I thought, you know, one for the road. we got to talk about politicians. It is election day after all. So first and foremost, the three current athletes who would be the best politicians, Steph Curry's got to be number one on the list. I think, Steve, I think Steph Curry could be president. In fact, if he ran against Gavin Newsom for the uh, – governorship of California. I don't know how he would do in Southern California. He would landslide up here. So maybe if it was like him and if it was Steph and LeBron James, would they win the governorship of California? They might. Uh, Tom Brady, of course, has got the looks. Plus, he's the king of saying nothing while you think he said something. That is something that politicians have to be really good at. Although Brady has a bit of a cursing problem, so I don't know if he could do that. And then Russell Wilson, I don't know right now if he could get elected. He's probably more hated by fans than Ted Cruz, who did the impossible and got booed in an Astros victory parade on Monday. Uh, hey, America, let's ride. Maybe it would work. Uh, he'd come up with some corny lines, another guy who says a lot but says nothing. He's got future politician written all over him. Plus, he's got the uh, famous wife, so that might work. So Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. Although I think Steph for different reasons. I do think Steph would be a great politician. I don't think he wants to be a politician. I think Steph is going to be like an owner or some sort of an executive or that kind of thing. Uh, just missed because they aren't active. Peyton Manning had talked about uh, maybe running in Tennessee. Uh, Tim Tebow could probably run in Florida. Charles Barkley had said he would uh, potentially run in Alabama. Greg Popovich has had many political opinions, as has Steve Kerr. Uh, you know, an interesting one would be Colin Kaepernick. I do think if Kaepernick ran, he would get elected. I don't know doing what or where, but I think Colin Kaepernick is obviously well-known by many. And at the end of the day, given the uh, some of the politicians that we have uh, elected through the years, sometimes it just is a popularity contest, but I actually think Ka Kaepernick would actually get some things done. Uh, the other guy I was thinking of is, would people actually vote for LeBron? Like I, I said, if you teamed Curry and LeBron as governor and lieutenant governor, you'd have Northern California and Southern California, and you'd probably have a winner. Uh, I don't know if just LeBron in general uh, would be a guy that, we were talking about this on our KMBR show today, would LeBron be a guy? I don't know. He'd have Taco Tuesday all the time. That would be great. Uh, athletes through the years who were actually politicians, athletes who were politicians, Steve Largent, the former Seahawk, J.C. Watts, 
Remember him at Oklahoma running the wishbone? Anthony Gonzalez was a wide receiver for at Ohio State, later the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Bill Bradley might be the most famous, the former New York Nick. He was a presidential uh, candidate at one point. Kevin Johnson, the former son, of course, was the mayor of Sacramento. Jack Kemp, the former Buffalo Bills quarterback. John Runyon, remember him? Heath Shuler was a top five pick out of Tennessee. Uh, he went back to his home state. Dave Bing, who, by the way, one time I was just eating in a random restaurant, and there's Dave Bing next to me. I'm like, aren't you in Detroit? I'm like, aren't you Dave Bing? He used to be the uh, mayor of Detroit, and he played for the Pistons for years. There are more. But it being an election day today, there is, uh, first, three guys who could be politicians. Uh, guys who, well, they, I mean, they're not active in sports, but they're still involved in sports. Peyton Manning, Tim Tebow, Charles Barkley, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr. Uh, Colin Kaepernick would be an interesting one, and LeBron, of course. And there's are, there are some athletes turned politicians. I gave you some of those as well. Give me your thoughts at John Lund Radio. Who would be a great uh, athlete, either either current, past? Uh, who would be a great politician? And when I say it about Curry, I mean it in a positive way. It's just I don't know who'd want to be a politician, you know, especially in today's landscape. I just I just don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of money in it. And you go on the speaking tours, and you can write books, and you. I mean, there's a lot of benefits down the line. But uh, I don't know. Politician to me? Nah, no thanks. Anyway, it is election day. Get out and vote, please. That's the whole main reason I wanted to do that. Please, for election day, get out and vote. And that is your one for the road. And that is Unleashed with me, John Lund from KNBR. Episode 39 for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, Election Day. Thanks for making Unleashed your first stop for Barrier Sports Talk each weekday. Please listen what you're doing. Thank you. Subscribe where you get your favorite podcast, the YouTube channel. We're going to kick that thing off on Monday, November 14th. Interact with the show any old time. What you like, what you don't. Attaboys. Do this better. At John Lund Radio. Hit me up. My day job, KNBR Radio, KNBR 680 in the Bay Area in San Francisco. That's Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund, episode 39 for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, only on the Locked On Podcast Network.